tell you something that happened a couple of months ago. A taxi cab driver in Washington, D.C. named Sam Snow had an incredible experience. He picked up several passengers who were in town for the inauguration back in January, and he wasn't paying much attention to who got into the cab with him. Several people just climbed in. He started driving to their location. And uh, they noticed that Sam, the taxi driver, was wearing a Pittsburgh Steelers jacket. So they started asking him, do you like football? Is, are the Steelers your team? He's like, yeah, they're my team. And uh, so as he's talking to them, he, they said, well, who's some of your favorite players? And he said, well, I love my Steelers, but I got to be honest. My all-time favorite player is Denver Broncos' John Elway. Apparently, he hadn't paid much attention to who had got in the back seat of his cab because in the back seat was John Elway's wife and John Elway. They were having a blast with this guy, not realizing who was in his cab. So they started talking to him. They videoed the whole thing. You can't make this stuff up. Watch this. In Pittsburgh. Hear me? No. So you think John Elway's number one? Okay. Number one, and then you got. Uh, no, no, I see. think, but I thought he really isn't that good of a guy. John Elway? He's not yeah. that great. First. <laughs> so, so number one was Elway, but why was he number one in your mind? He's a great quarterback, great quarterback. And then let's see. But let, let me, me finish. No, then no. I would have to. I would have to. Uh, I ain't done. And then the second would pick would be. I'm, I want to be fair. So you did number one. I'm, and I hate to say it. I hate to say. It, I hate to say it. It's gonna hurt me to say it. But I'm. I'm not speaking of uh, still a fan. I'm thinking of being, being frank. In with general, you. general. So I'll have to put Tom Brady in there. I, 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 even though I can't stand him, but look at his face. Tom Brady. Then I would have to put I would have to put Ben Rosenberger in there. Alright. Yeah. Okay. He's won a lot. Okay, that's that's the top three. That's, See? That's good. So back So again. would you know John Elway if you saw him? Elway. I would have Elway. And if you ran into him, would you know who he was? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do me a favor. Why don't you turn around? Right there. Turn around. How you doing, man? Oh come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. Turn that way. How you doing, girl? Man, I gotta take a picture, man. Seriously, we'll seriously. So I'm serious. Can we get out? Can we take a picture together, man? Absolutely. You gotta take some shades off. You, oh, you got it. You got it. I know what John Elway looked like. I know what John Elway looks like. <laughs> they did get out of the cab. They got that selfie together. Only after he got to take John Elway to task for beating his Steelers so many times. But that's, that is just so cool. You can't make this stuff up. Have you ever had an experience like that? Maybe not a John Elway in your cab moment, but have you ever been talking to somebody only to realize that you're not talking about your hero, you're talking to your hero? Or, or maybe you've been talking to someone and you just thought they were an ordinary person and as you talk to them and learn more about them, your estimation... And esteem for this person grew and grew. And you're like, wow, this is not who I thought I started this conversation with. It's such an incredible thing when that happens. We're in this series called You Can't Make This Stuff Up. And this is the kind of thing that happened over and over and over as people encountered Jesus. They may have come into the conversation or the encounter with one set of expectations about who he was. They walked away with a whole different idea about who Jesus was. Over and over when people came into contact with Jesus, they walked away saying, this guy is incredible. This guy is amazing. This is the most extraordinary person I've ever met. And so I want to do what so many people have done is just to go back again and look at what the Bible tells us about this real person, Jesus, and to get to know him and to realize all the things that he has done and the things that he continues to do. My belief is when we come to realize how extraordinary Jesus is and we truly encounter him, it changes people's lives. For 2,000 years now, Jesus has 
has left this legacy that has changed people's lives and their destinies forever. It's completely changed our world. And so what we're going to do is dive into here and see some extraordinary things that happened in the weeks and months leading up to Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and what happened after that. And some of the things that happened, they're like so incredible. You're like, you can't make this up. It has to be true. Nobody would just make this up as fiction. So what I want to do today is, if you got one of these, turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to dive into something that happened in Jesus' life. Luke chapter 9, if you've got a Bible app, you can pull it up that way. If you've got a worship folder, you can take some notes in that if you'd like. Or the Bible app has the service on there, and you can follow along with the notes in that. So we're going to start reading in verse 28 of Luke chapter 9. It says here, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about Jesus' departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Well, Peter and his companions were very sleepy. They became fully awake when they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I love, who I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. And then the disciples, they kept this to themselves, and they told no one at that time what they had seen. So we'll pause there. My opinion, this may be one of the most extraordinary things that ever happened in Jesus' 33 years on this earth. This is powerful. I don't know if you've ever even heard this before or read this before. This is just an amazing experience because it is a glimpse for all of us and for those three guys that night into the true identity, the full identity of who Jesus was and who he is. And it's like the curtains are pulled back. Now, before we dive into the story and study through it, there's a couple of options that we have about how we understand this story. I just want to be fair and present both sides of it. On the one hand, it could be that you would just take this as just that. It's a story. As in, it's a made-up story. As in, Peter, James, and John were using their imagination. And they created this really cool story about Jesus. Not true, because everybody knows things like this don't happen in the real world. Supernatural things like glowing and Moses and Elijah. So, it's a story. Now, maybe they made it up to teach us something real about Jesus. Or maybe they made it up to... um, you know, trick people. If you, you know, you're kind of cynical, you might think that. Or, or maybe they hallucinated it and they really thought it happened. But whatever it is, there's that viewpoint that says supernatural things don't happen in the world. Therefore, there has to be a natural explanation for this. Whatever it is, it's just a made-up story. Now, there's another viewpoint as we look at this, and it could be that you would say, as implausible as it sounds, as supernatural and extraordinary as it sounds, What we have here is an actual eyewitness testimony and an accurate accounting of what happened that night on that mountain. That as supernatural as it is, that this is really what happened. As in, if you and I had been there that night, we could have pulled out our phones and hit record and showed somebody a video later and the video would match up with what is written on these pages. Two different viewpoints. Now, if you are kind of in the camp of here, I'm not making, I'm not belittling you, I'm not yelling at you if you think that this didn't really happen. But I would ask you to simply keep an open mind. What would it mean for us if things like this actually can and did happen in the world? 
what if there really are things that can't be explained by anything that's in the universe, something outside of the universe acting within the universe? Wouldn't that change our view of who Jesus is? Wouldn't it change our view of what reality really is all about? So I just ask you to keep an open mind because what I want to teach through this, I want to take it as it's presented, which is, this is a historical account of an actual eyewitness encounter. They, implausible as it sounds, this is what we saw. And so I want to work through it and uh, just see what we learn from this event. So this breaks down into three scenes, if you want. And, the, and it all starts with the prelude, which is Jesus and his three closest disciples take a hike up a mountain. So that's where it ever began. They start hiking up this high mountain. Why were they going several thousand feet up in elevation? What did the Bible say? It's actually back here in verse uh, 28. You can go ahead and look. I'll wait. They were going up there to do what? Pray. Thank you. You saved the whole class. <laughs> they were going up there to pray. Who went with Jesus? Three people. Peter, John, and James. Yeah, I took the easy one. I took Jesus. So you have to say the other three. So, so it begs the question, though, if Jesus is going to go up on a mountain to pray, which he did often, that was his habit, he loved to go out in creation and pray, why did he only take those three? He's got 12 disciples. Why those three? That's a good question. You'll notice as Jesus preached and as he taught, and so he waited until he was 30 years old to start preaching and teaching. Up until that time, he was a carpenter in his hometown of Nazareth. So he's 30 years old, the age of rabbis. It's the age where somebody could start being a priest. Jesus starts teaching. He taught for like three and a half years. And there were like literally thousands and tens of thousands of people who had come to listen to Jesus teach. They'd come to see miracles, whatever. Out of the thousands, there were probably 120 to 150 so that were really close to Jesus. Then there was like an inner circle of about 70. And then even further down, you get down to the 12 people that Jesus called to be his apostles. And then within the 12, there was even this subgroup of Peter, John, and James, like the inner three. And, and that Jesus would often call them aside to some, certain things like, this event right here, they were the three that got to go with them. There was a time where Jesus was called upon because a man named Jairus, who was a synagogue ruler, his daughter, his 12-year-old daughter was dying. And they said, Jesus, can you come heal her? She actually died before Jesus got there. And we went into the room where the dead girl was laying. Who did he take with him? Peter, John, and James. Everybody else, get out of the room. Peter, James, John, you get to see this miracle, me raising this girl from the dead. Go forward from this event a little bit further. The night that Jesus was arrested, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane outside Jerusalem, and he took his disciples with him, but then he took three guys further into the garden to pray with him, and he took Peter, John, and James. Why these three guys? My guess is these guys had the greatest leadership potential out of everybody. He was mentoring them. He was spending extra time with them, allowing them to see things that other people didn't see because they had such great influence with not just the other of the 12, but just with everybody. You think about it, Peter was the one who preached the sermon that started the church in Acts chapter 2. John was the apostle who, out of all the 12, I think he's the only one who died a natural death. He lived on to, into his 90s. He's the guy who wrote John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Revelation. You might have heard of it, right? So John had a huge influence in the church through his leadership and his writings. James was the first apostle who was killed for Jesus. That's in Acts chapter 12. So Jesus is bringing these guys along, and he's saying, I'm gonna, I want you to come up to the top of the mountain, and I want you to pray with me. So they go with him. Now, I want you to get the picture in your mind. Any of you like to go hiking or backpacking? Okay, a few of us. Then I want to tip you off to something you may not know if you're not an outdoors kind of person. The world is a different place at night. If Even if you just camped out, you know that. There's just something special about going up several thousand feet in altitude. Whatever the weather is down here, it's different up there on top of a mountain. I guarantee you that it gets cooler. It's nicer, especially if it's hot. And, and as the sun starts going down, 
it just smells different, right? Some of you shake your head if you know what I'm talking about. It, things sound different at night. Everything sounds like a bear coming to eat you. <laughs> but there's something really cool about being out at night. The stars come out, and it's just something very peaceful, which I totally get why Jesus often went out to pray all night up on a mountain or out in the woods. I can relate to that. And so this is the experience. They're up on this mountain. They're praying. And, well, let's be honest. Jesus was praying. What did the Bible say the other three were doing? They were out. Which I also completely understand. When you've hiked several thousand feet up a mountain, you're tired and it's peaceful and it's quiet. So they're conking out while Jesus is praying. They woke up, though, when the main event kicked in. So in this account, we have three stunning supernatural events that happen right one after the other. And the first one is the thing that actually woke up the disciples. Luke says that Jesus' face and his clothes literally changed. If you go back, Matthew and Mark also include this in their gospel. And they use the word metamorphosis for what happened to Jesus' face. Like the word for caterpillar to butterfly. Uh, Like he was transformed. Like his face is glowing. Like I can't even look at him. He's so bright. His clothes were like a flash of lightning. Everything about him was changed. And uh, I'm just like, there's no way you're going to sleep through that. Peter, James, and John are like, I'm awake, I'm awake. What in the world is going on? What is Jesus doing? Like, oh my gosh. This is like a John Elway in my cab times a thousand. Who, what is happening here? Now, to understand what's happening here, we have to step back and understand something about Jesus and who he was before he was Jesus. You and I began when our parents had us. Jesus had a history well before he became a baby who was born in Bethlehem. Now, the Bible teaches us that Jesus, before he became the son of man, the the son of Mary, adopted father Joseph, that he was the son of God, that he has always existed, that Jesus, before he became a human being, was God who created the world. He was there at the beginning of everything. He's actually the one who created the world. He's the one who still holds the world together. He's... He was God before he was a human being. And so he is the only person who is God and human. And what the disciples are getting to do is get a glimpse of that. In the Bible later, it will say this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Before coming here to earth, Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Or the NIV says he didn't consider his equality with God something to cling on to. No, he was willing to let that go. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He's God, the Son of God, and he emptied himself of all of that and became a baby who had to be taken care of by his mom, who had to go to school, who had to grow up in every way. So when the people looked at Jesus, they saw human Jesus, which is absolutely true. He's human. That night on the mountain... Peter, John, and James got to see more of Jesus. They got to see what he was like before he came to the earth, or just a glimpse of it. They were privileged to see something that probably a handful of people in all of human history have ever got to see. They got a glimpse of God. Now, this was something that stayed with them for the rest of their lives. Peter and John both write about it in their elder years, and it's both in the Bible. They talk about being on the mountain and seeing Jesus, and that just really left a deep impression on them. Ironically, about 60 years after this happened, when you go forward in John's life, he's now an old man, he's probably in his 80s or 90s, 
And he's on the island of Patmos where he's been exiled because of his Christian faith. The Roman emperor has sent him into exile. He saw Jesus again. And what we find out is that what Jesus looked like at that night on that mountain is what Jesus looks like right now. John got to see his friend Jesus again. It's talked about in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, John wrote about this in Revelation. He, John said, Among the lampstands there was someone like a son of man, that's Jesus, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice Sound like rushing waters. And his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. That's what Jesus looks like right now. And they got to see a glimpse of it. But that's only the first of three supernatural events that happened that night. The next thing that happened was just as stunning. Jesus, he's, he's in glory. And he's talking to Moses and Elijah. And, which is incredible. For, especially for a Jewish audience. I don't know that we get the full import of this. It'd be kind of like seeing somebody talking to Abraham Lincoln and George Washington for us, except times 10. Moses and Elijah, this is a really big deal. Jesus is talking to them. And they're not ghosts. They're actually real people standing on this mountaintop with Jesus talking to him, having a conversation. That's how such a powerful moment. Moses, think about what did he do? Remember, he went on a mountain himself, didn't he? Went up on a mountain. He received the law from God, the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets carried it back down the mountain to the people of Israel. Elijah, greatest prophet in the whole Old Testament, all of history until John the Baptist. And Jesus is talking to these two guys. This is a huge miracle. Which again, I, you talk about like supernatural events. There might be something in your mind going, wait a minute. Didn't Moses live 1,400 years before Jesus? For us to be like 3,400 years ago? Didn't Elijah live 800 years before Jesus? How is it possible that they're there in a real physical body on top of this mountain talking to Jesus? How is that possible? They've been in heaven for all these years, right? This is where we get to see another glimpse of what reality is really like. We don't cease to exist when we pass away. Jesus pointed out very clearly that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And what we see here is that for this moment, God allowed Moses and Elijah in their real bodies to come back and talk to Jesus. They were really there. You know, there will come a day when everybody will stand in a real physical body. When Jesus comes back to earth, that's what we're waiting for. Us and, and all of our loved ones who've passed away, all of us are waiting for Jesus to come back so that we can be brought back to life in a real physical body and a real physical place. And Moses and Elijah did this just for a moment to talk to Jesus. And they were really there. And they're having this conversation with Jesus. And by the way, my mind just does weird things. I, I believe it was Moses and Elijah, but how did James, John, and, and Peter know that it was them? Were, were they like wearing name tags? <laughs> what, how did they know? Did, did Jesus come over and introduce them? Um, Moses, Elijah, I'd like to meet you to meet three of my followers. This is Peter, James, and John. Wake up, guys. I've got some important people I want to meet. I don't know, maybe it was the conversation. I don't know if they overheard their names. Maybe they, they just knew, like, that's got to be Moses. It's got to be Elijah. I don't know, but they knew who they were. And so they're talking to Jesus. My question then would be next, what were they talking to Jesus about? Well, let's go back and find out. In verse 31, it says that Moses and Elijah came back from heaven to talk to Jesus about his departure that would take place in Jerusalem. What does that mean? 
Well, let's go backwards a little bit further. If you got your Bible open, go backwards to verse 28, the, the verse that started this. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John up the mountain. Well, what is this that he said eight days ago? Okay, well, let's go back and find out. You go back in Luke chapter 8 down to verse uh, 18. It says, once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were with him. Jesus asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they said, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Still others that you're one of the prophets of long ago who's come back to life. And Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ of God. And then Jesus warned them, hey, don't talk about this right now. It's not the right time. And then he says this in verse 21, or verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He must be killed, and on the third day raised to life. That's what they've been talking about eight days ago. So eight days ago, Jesus is telling them, I am the Son of God, I am the Christ, I am the one you have been waiting for, but... It's not going to go like you thought it would. We're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed by the religious leaders. That's the departure that Moses and Elijah are here talking about with Jesus. So then my next question would be, so why did Moses and Elijah have to come to Jesus and why did he have to transfigure? I mean, they're not coming, they're talking about his departure, but they're not giving him any new information. He already knows eight days ago, he's talking to his disciples about the fact he's going to die. So if they're talking to him about it, they're obviously not telling him something he doesn't already know. So why did they come? Why did they have this experience? My belief is, and I think there's something we need to glean from this, God gave this experience to Jesus and the disciples as an encouragement. This is God the Father giving Jesus and the disciples the strength and the resolve to get through what's going to happen in just a few short days and weeks in Jerusalem which is going to be absolutely devastating. They're going to watch the man that they've followed, that they have trusted for the last three and a half years, be killed by the people they've grown up respecting and being taught to follow. Jesus himself is going to have to go through this devastating experience of being accused of things that he didn't do and being uh, said that he's lying when he says that he is not only the way to God, but that he is God. God gave Jesus and he gave the disciples this experience that night so that forever after they would remember This is real. No matter how bad things get, this is real. And I think there's an important lesson for us. When we think about the difficult things that we go through, and trust me, if you live long enough, you're going to go through some tough things. You may not know that they're coming, like Jesus did, but it's going to happen. How do you find the resolve to get through those difficult times that maybe even are so difficult they make you question your faith in God? What do you do? Well, there's a couple of different ideas here about what you would do. Um, There's a school of thought that just says, you need to tough it out. You need to grit your teeth and find your inner self-discipline and your resolve and just gut it through. On a smaller scale, if you've got a huge project, you've got a test coming up, you've got a paper that's due Monday and it's Sunday, you're like, I just got to power through. It's going to be an all-nighter. I already know it. So I've got the Mountain Dew. I've got the Quad Shot Venti Latte. I'm ready to go. And I'm just going to power through and do it. Does that really work? Grit your teeth, tough it out, I'll sleep later. Interestingly enough, research is showing, no, that doesn't work. If you find yourself in a situation where you need to get something done, you're much better off taking a nap and then going back to it. 
resilience comes from being renewed, not through gutting it out and just tapping into some self-discipline. So when you take this into the realm of every area of our life, resist the temptation just to gut it out and just so, you know what, I'll, I'll deal with this later. We'll, we'll make it through. We'll tough it out. No, resolve to do the next right thing comes from being renewed, not from your willpower. And I think this is what God is doing and providing for them. I'm going to give you some renewal. I'm going to give you some encouragement. I'm going to give you an experience that's going to help take you through these next difficult things that are going on in your life. Which is why we talk so much here at Connection about how you need to be spending time every day in this. You need daily renewal. You don't need to try to grit your teeth and gut it out. You need to be spending some time every day praying. That's why we talk about how important it is to gather together with each other every week. Every Sunday, we gather here for ourselves as much as to worship God. I need to spend time with you. You need to spend time with me. We need to worship God together. We need to be reminded that this says things that are very important to us. We need to encourage each other and serve each other in love. You need to be in a life group. You need to have some friends who will go through those difficult times with you and help you. And then you, in turn, get to help them when they're going through difficult times. And you take food to each other and you pray with each other and you sit with each other at the hospital. These are the things that build in our resolve to make it through so we don't give up. This is so important. And that's what God's giving Jesus here. Now, there's just one more supernatural event that's going to take place. Just as Moses and Elijah are leaving, Peter spoke up. Bless his heart. If you are the person who always says the wrong thing at the wrong time, you are Peter's friend. If you ever find yourself in a situation where silence is called for and you hear the sound of your voice coming into that, you and Peter would get along really well. He has a knack for saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, just jumping right in where he should be holding back. And, and here's one of those times. So Peter didn't know what to do in this moment, so he started talking, of course. So I just hear Peter like, oh my gosh, Moses and Elijah. Hey Jesus, I've got a great idea. You know, James and John, I mean, we've been talking over, we took a vote. We think this would make a great life group right here. Let's just invite Moses and Elijah to stay. We'd have like the three best teachers in the whole world right here together. And you know, I like Peter and John, and I love you guys, so let's just stay. I can run down to REI, I can get three tents and set them up. I'll give you one, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and we'll just hang out here on the top of the mountain. How's that sound to you, Jesus? Let's just keep this experience going, because I don't know about you guys, but this has been a true mountaintop experience. I'm loving this. And um, before we, you know, like the Bible says, Peter didn't know what he's talking about. <coughs> And I don't want to be too harsh with him because we do the same thing. We have some kind of an experience of God and instead of just relishing God who brought us that experience, we try to grab onto the experience that we had. So maybe you had an awesome experience of God at a teen camp or a CIY conference or a missions trip or a certain time of your life where the church experience was like this and so you think, I love that experience and I felt this close to God so I just need to keep doing that. And then I'll be close to God. And we're grabbing onto the experience instead of grabbing onto God. And that's exactly what Peter's doing. I want to just keep this going forever. And he's missing the whole point. And I think we've got to be aware of that. Beware of the tendency to cling to a past experience instead of a present relationship with Jesus. That's really what it's all about. That experience on the mountaintop was amazing. But that's not what it was. In and of itself, it was a means to an end. And as Peter's babbling on, that's when the third supernatural event took place. This cloud rolls in, which was terrifying all by itself. It's also a sign of something. The cloud in the Old Testament is often a sign of the presence of God himself. God the Father shows up and God the Father speaks. 
And so if you think about it, the entire Trinity is present here on the mountaintop that night. You have Jesus, the Son of God. You have God the Father who shows up in the cloud and speaks. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Excuse me. And it was just an amazing experience as, as God the Father literally speaks out of the cloud and they all heard God speak. I've often wondered, what does God's voice sound like? Is it intimidating? Is it low? Is it, what, what is it that God sounds like? I was reading a, about a, a mom named Deborah. She said that she had her three-year-old son, Ian. They would read Bible stories every night. And it, one of his favorite stories to hear at three years old was the story of how the boy Samson in the Old Testament was spoken to by God one night. So he always, he would be like, I want to hear the story of God talking to the boy Samuel. So she would read that story. One night she read it to him and she said, just it occurred to her, said, Ian, or he's three years old, has God ever talked to you? And he said, yes. And she said, oh, she started getting goosebumps. Like, really? What did he say, Ian? And Ian thought about it for a second and he said in his deepest voice, Ian, go to bed. And she said something clicked in my mind. Oh, that's why he goes to bed so quick when his dad's in the hall and says, Ian, go to bed. He thinks God's talking to him. So what did, what did God literally say on the top of that mountain? This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. I would highly suggest you underline that in your Bible. This is maybe the best advice I could ever give you. Listen to Jesus. God himself said this. Listen to my son, Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He's, in, he's the only one who matters. The voice of the Father had such a powerful impact on these guys. You read over in Matthew's account, it says this, Matthew chapter 17, verse 6. When the disciples heard the voice, they fell flat on their faces, scared to death. But Jesus came and he touched them. He said, don't be afraid. And they opened their eyes and they looked around. All they saw was Jesus. Only Jesus. And that's the conclusion to this whole event. The last one standing is Jesus I love how kind Jesus was to his friends. I love that even though they're terrified, he comes over and he touches them and says, it's okay, come on, I'm still me. I'm God, but I'm still Jesus the man too, and and you're going to be okay. And they saw Jesus. It says in the Bible later about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, like Elijah, and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he's also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Jesus is not just another good man. He's not just a great teacher who said many wise things. He's not a, a, just a person who set a wonderful example that we should all strive to, to copy and emulate. He's not, as the Mormons say, the equal but opposite brother of Satan. He's not, as Islam says, just a prophet, a very good prophet, but just a prophet. No, he's in a whole category all by himself. He's Jesus. He's the only one standing, and he's the one that we should listen to. He's the one that we should devote our life to. And it changes the way that you see the whole world, and it changes how you see your own life when you realize that there is someone that powerful that you can commit your entire life to. And God the Father says, listen to him. He's telling you the truth about how to have real life, how to have hope for your future, how to have a hope that goes beyond death. Listen to him. Follow him and trust him. And I want you to do that. And maybe you do, and you're like, I do. Okay, we'll recommit to him. Maybe you say, I used to, and I've kind of walked away, and I don't know if he wants me back. He does. And maybe today he's touching you on the shoulder and says, don't be afraid. Come on. 
And maybe for you, this is all new territory, and, and maybe you need to make the first steps towards committing to this man. So you think about it, but would you wrestle with who Jesus is going to be in your life and who he is now? Would you stand right now? I want to pray for us. Father, I thank you that you've showed us this and help us to understand what it is. Help us to really see Jesus for who he is. That you would speak to our hearts and help us to to realize some things that maybe we've never accepted or grasped before. That you would pull things away that are distracting us or pull things away that are telling us things that are not true. Help us in every way to move towards you and to do the next right thing. I'm so thankful that you loved us and that you reached out to us and that you were willing to offer us eternal life and forgiveness of our sins and and just so, so much incredible love. Help us to say yes to that. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.